Enjoy some nice refreshing, refreshing, refreshing iced beverages. Welcome to Hand of Pot. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 280 of Hand of Pod. Uh, I'm Sam Kelly, and you're listening along with me this week to Andres Bruckner. Welcome back, Andres. Hello, Sam. Thank you. How are you? Fine, fine. Uh, a bit uh, hot. Uh, like you said, we are trying to get some cold from beverages because it's quite hot and humid here in Buenos Aires. Yeah. I yes. just got off my bike as well 10 minutes before you came round, so I apologise if it starts to smell a bit in um, around 20 or 30 minutes' time, because we've had to close all the windows. Yes. So I'm a bit ripe right now, but um, yeah, hopefully you'll be able to breathe. Um, I will go through the results from the weekend just gone in the Superliga. Argentinos Juniors beat Defensa Justicia 2-1 in uh, not quite La Paternal on Friday night. Patronato and Godoy Cruz drew 0-0 in Paraná, and Belgrano and Lanús drew 0-0 in um, Córdoba. And then on Saturday, the following results happened. Banfield 0, Atletico Tucumán 0. God, I, having missed most or all of those games, um, I didn't realise there were three 0-0 in the first four matches. That wasn't a good start to the weekend, was it? Um, and then Rosario Central scored quite early on against Union, I think, and secured a 1-0 win. Independiente got a 1-0 win away to Colón. River Plate beat Olimpo 2-0 in the Monumental. Arsenal de Sarandí and Gimnasia La Plata drew 0-0. On Sunday, Estudiantes against Newells ended 4-2. Sunday's match is to an extent made up for the lack of goals um, on Friday and Saturday. Estudiantes 4, Newells 2 in La Plata. San Lorenzo 1, Boca 1 in the big weekend Clásico. Racing 4, Huracan 0, Tempele 0, Tacheres 1 on Monday evening, Chacarita 2, Beres Sarsfield 0, an eyebrow-raising result in my opinion, and San Martín de San Juan 0, Tigre 0. There is one other match to be played which will bring the Superliga finally completely and totally up to date. It's being played this evening, uh, it's kicking off in, we're recording slightly later than planned, about 5 past 8 right now, this is kicking off in uh, an hour and 10 minutes I think it is. Um, and that is Godoy Cruz versus Lanús in Mendoza, um, a match that was postponed from the tenth uh, round of fixtures due to Lanús playing in the Copa Libertadores um, final. Um, good. So, plenty of talking points from the weekend just gone. What should we start with? I think that the most important match is the one you talked about, the Clásico, between San Lorenzo and Boca. Um, along with River because of course uh, we are both River supporters but I think the, mon- the most important match was the one uh, uh, which in San Lorenzo and Boca tied 1-1 um, yeah. there was a lot of things in that match uh, both about football and extra football um, and uh, the most important thing is that Boca sa- was saved from 
San Lorenzo, San Lorenzo could have uh, made the difference uh, smaller with uh, uh, now they could have, they could be three points away, but finally Boca with that draw uh, now are safe and I think that uh, perhaps the most important the most the hardest match they had uh, in these rounds was that was that because now they play against Temple uh, home condition and I think this is uh, well Temple Arsenal are, are are teams in which Boca playing at right now at Bombonera are are three points for sure. Yeah. Oh really away from La Bombonera as well um, it was a pretty good game I thought it was end to end neither side were overly concerned with um, defending what they had even when San Lorenzo went down to nine men um, and one of the bigger talking points of the game was the fact that San Lorenzo went down to nine men again they had yeah for the second week running yeah I, I didn't actually see last week's I'm assuming that it was a bit less controversial than this week um, Facundo Quinon got sent off for his second yellow card a few minutes before half time that was a Perfectly okay decision. I thought they were both bookable offences. The, um, the first yellow card was somehow you, uh, you could you could discuss the second one. It's no, there is no, of course, doubt that he 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 deserved the yellow card. The problem is that he had already had uh, yellow card. On I, I thought the first one was okay, but at any rate, mm. the second one was um, the, the other sending off was much 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 more debatable. Um, Gabriel Rojas got again. I think correctly booked the first time round, um, and then got very incorrectly booked the second time round after being ploughed over by was it Leonardo Hara? No, it was Wilmar Barrios. Wilmar Barrios, thank you. Yes, yes. Um, they sort of came together, and when it happened, my initial thought watching it was bloody hell. I hope whoever that was in the San Lorenzo shirt is okay because he completely flattened him, and then the referee, uh, for some reason, showed the yellow card. Um, I think because Barrios uh, ended up ended up in the in the floor, and he assumed by that that the one who had committed the uh, the made the, the, the foul was um, was Rojas. But uh, if it was a crash or or, or or even even Barrios was, I think if one if you you should uh, wanted to, to award a, a foul was in favor of the San Lorenzo man. Yeah. Uh, Rojas was in, poor in, 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 which, in the, the way he went against uh, Rojas, and uh, in the last of the of the cases he could have uh, booked both, and in that case, uh, uh, Barrios will should also have been. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I can see the 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 um, reasoning behind that, I guess. And yeah, you're quite right. It would have been Barrios' second yellow card as well, um, but I just. I can't work out how it was a Rojas foul. He got the ball along... I mean, you know, it happened very quickly. Um, but he got the ball quite clearly before there was any um, contact. And then when the contact was, it was Barrios running into um, Rojas rather than Rojas ploughing into Barrios. And, and Rojas ended up completely flattened, almost. Yes. Um, it, it was a really weird decision. And then it was made worse, <laughs> worse in a way by the fact that later that evening Carlos Tevez threw his 34th birthday party and Claudio Tapia went along to it the head of the Argentine Football Association um, Tapia then afterwards sort of said well what's wrong with it you know he's a friend and why can't I go to my friend's birthday party to which there's a bit of me that thinks yeah you know why can't you and then there's a bit of me that thinks just I mean think of the optics it, it, it doesn't look that good does it when you've got fans from across the rest of the country from every other club going oh but you know the Affler are all bent towards Boca 
and towards Independiente because those are the two clubs who are closest to the current AFA um, administration. Maybe just send Tevez a message or give him a phone call and say, hey, look, I'm going to stay away from this one because it wouldn't look that good. I'm sure he'll understand. I mean, yeah. Yes, it's the sense of neutrality that AFA should have uh, is lost with this. Exactly. It's, 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 sort of, it's the stupidity of... I'm not sure whether they are um, you know, genuinely doing this in a corrupt manner or not. But, I mean, at least don't wave it in people's faces and make it look like that's definitely what's happening. Even if it is, you know, just 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 avoid that. I mean, who's doing the AFA's PR, basically? So it, it's that, I'm complaining about two things at once here, really. One is, is that the decision was wrong, which I'm only complaining about a bit because this happens in football. Um, but the other complaint is just that they're stupid enough to continue doing these things. You think, OK, they have to take a few steps forward. They've taken many steps forward from the Julio Grandona days in, in many of our eyes. Um, but then there's always a step backwards at some point. You want later we can talk a bit uh, deeper and further about these things because there is more to talk about AFA and how the directors or the teams, board members are, are, are behaving mm. right now. Yeah, we will. Um, I'll let you bring that up later on. But San Lorenzo, Boca was, as, as I said already, it was an entertaining match, that small injustice aside. The goals came fairly early. Ruben Bota um, scored after just three minutes and Carlos Tevez headed in off the crossbar um, for the equaliser for his first goal in this most recent spell back at Boca, just 14 minutes in. After that, the chances didn't let up. It was it was end-to-end. Both teams played well. Fernando Bellucci was um, taking a few too many shots from range. He was quite active. Yeah, yes. he was doing. A, he was having a bit of a Frank Lampard sort of day, only without any of the, without any of them going in off other defenders' shins or anything like that. Um, just far, far, far too many shots from outside the box when he should have been passing it to strikers instead. But um, apart from that, I was pretty impressed. And, and Boca, I think, in the last match, he all, they also had the advantage with the with the players, right? And I don't remember. Uh, who they played against against Colón was uh, they yes. played Boca yeah because I, re- I remember them having uh, problems with teams that have had some sense of sending of and in this case they also uh, had problems because they couldn't set uh, or get a clear advantage in the play uh, when San Lorenzo had first um Rojas and then no sorry first Quinone and then Rojas off mm. uh, and of course when a team like San Lorenzo or, or any any rival gets uh, send off um, that team will try to for for that difference to not to be noticed or at least mm. to uh, cover the spaces the best they can and Boca as perhaps major major uh, big teams that want to perhaps attack. <coughs> And, and they can't because the, the, their arrivals have they have the, all of their men in the box. Well, uh, that happened uh, uh, this this Sunday with, uh, uh, and, and I can't remember uh, which other match that was recently for Boca, uh, having advantage with the with the men with the players and, and being not able to to mark that difference in the play in the mm. game. Yeah, because those are the only two games they've played this year. So I'm, I'm looking at the well, competitively, yes. of course. So yeah, I'm looking at the late fixtures last year, and I can't quite remember. Let's see whether we've got one here. No, it wasn't Estudiantes, so no, I, I can't think. Um, but yeah, it, it was 
it ended up being, I think, a better point for Boca than it was for San Lorenzo, inevitably, because the it means that the distance at the top of the table remains at six points, um, and this was a fixture that was that was losable for Boca. Not many of them do look losable for Boca, but San Lorenzo playing very well. Of course, they went into the ta- um, uh, into the match second in the table, um, and they're one of the very few institutions who don't feel uh, cowed when they face Boca because of the fact that they have this historic um, head-to-head record against, uh, advantage against Boca rather than um, having lost more than they've won they've won more than they've lost against Boca and they are the only team um, to have played a significant number of games against Boca and to be able to say that I say a significant number I, I mean like more than about 10 because uh, there are a couple of teams who came up to the seven, uh, into the Premier in like the 60s or 70s spent two or three seasons up, managed to beat Boca more times than they lost to Boca and then went back down. So they've only played Boca like eight times. Um, other than those, San Lorenzo are the only side who, who've beaten Boca more than they've lost to them. Um, yes, perhaps. And, and psychologically, I think that does sometimes come into it. Um, you know, you, you definitely see uh, some fixtures, the Super Classical perhaps being the most obvious one, where, where the pressure is, is enormous because of the history behind it and that affects how the players play uh, in the fixture. Um, so from that point of view I guess Boca will on the one hand they only got a point against nine men but on the other hand it's a point they'll be happy enough with because those nine men were their closest challengers and they managed to keep the distance yeah they could have extended it to nine points that would have been great but staying at six is a lot better than having it cut to three right? Yes they, they have no need to take any risk even when uh, you not, not in, you know, in all of, of the matches you have uh, two more, more players than your rival but yes, in, in if you look overall, in general, generally speaking, uh, they must be feel happy with maintaining that that difference, that gap, and taking into account that, as I said, they will play Temple uh, next Sunday, hmm. and well, San Lorenzo will for sure not uh, get any points since their their match against Independiente has been postponed. Oh yeah, why because is that? Independiente plays Recopa Sudamericana against Gremio. Oh, Next. they're doing that at this time of year this year. Yes, Wednesday fourteenth and twenty one, twenty first of February twenty one. Makes more sense having it at the start of the year. And so I'm glad they've decided to do that. I'm a bit confused that they have decided to do it after having it in August for a few years. But and I'm quite sure you are expecting Suruga Bank that they will play against Cerezo Osaka the eighth of August. Aha. Uh-huh. By, yes, by winning of, of course, we're, we're all waiting for that one. The the trophy yes. that Ariel Olan failed to correctly pronounce the name of a few days ago because that's how much it will mean to Independiente. Um, since you just mentioned that Boca play Tempele next, we may as well pass by um, Tempele's match on the weekend just gone because I'm going to, you know, it, it, A, it gives us a bit of an excuse to do a diversion from our normal round up the big five and then cover everyone else. And B, because one of the teams in this match, not Tempoli, unfortunately, um, really merits uh, being mentioned third on hand of pod because they are now third in the table after beating Tempoli 1-0 away from home on Monday night. Um, Tacheres, in spite of the fact that, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, they lost both Emmanuel Reynoso to Boca and Jonathan Menendez to Independiente, um, two of their, I, I think actually their two most important attacking players, um, they've managed to, to go third in the table thanks to Junior Arias who was was he brought in to replace Menendez? 
during this transfer window? Uh, no, the one that I think was brought uh, to replace him was Silva. Ah, Santiago Silva, Silva of course, yeah. I, I don't know whether he played in, from the first minute, but he... No, he, he was a substitute. He yes. replaced uh, He replaced Arias with ah. about 12 minutes to go. And there is another player that apparently have has come to, to Tacheres and we couldn't, we didn't notice or this, we didn't read it in any, any site, mm. which is Matias Pisano, another former independiente that now will, huh? uh, I know whether he was he, at the bench. He wasn't in the squad at all. But yes, uh, I, I noticed that, I read that uh, uh, FIFA has sentenced Gremio, uh, Crusader to pay, pay five, $500,000 Mm. to uh, Independiente for, for Pisano transference, uh, transfer and uh, they they still haven't paid that and FIFA well uh, said that they have to do so in the next 10 days or I don't know what will happen but uh, the, uh, apart, apart uh, uh, from that I realized or I read that Pisano is now at Tacheres yeah interesting um Tacheres were actually a, a little lucky, having having said that Tempele didn't really deserve the um, the mention that the Tacheres did on the count of going third. Um, Tacheres scored with their only shot on target, uh, whereas Tache- uh, Tempele had had three of them. Both sides hit the post once, or the woodwork at least once, um, and possession was pretty even. I mean, we've mentioned before that Tempele is, is tried to get down and play decent football. They have done since they've been in the Primera. They're just sort of not always that effective at it. They're outclassed a lot. Um, but the attitude is 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 there, um, and so this is it, it's a difficult one to take, really, isn't it? When you concede with the only shot that your opponent has on target, and you've managed about four yes. or five of them yourself, and you can't score. Um, but there we go, and, and at the same time, it's precisely you know the the, the cliche: if Tacheres were top of the league rather than third, would be that they've this is how champions play. They play poorly, and they get a one nil win from the only shot on target. Tacheres probably aren't going to win the championship, um, but they are about as high as they've been in the table I think actually it must be the highest they've been in the table since I started watching Argentine football back in 2000 and was it 2002 or 2003 when they were very briefly top of the table for a couple of weeks in the uh, during the Clausura one of those years um, that was one of the first games that I ever caught was them against I think it must have been River um, on uh, on when Channel 5 used to show the uh, repeats really late at night on the Thursday after the game had been played um, so congratulations Tacheres and we hope that you continue this this decent run of form um, in fourth place after this I'm just trying to load up the league table now are Union who lost yes to we, we talked a well about them and now they lost so yeah. yes it's typical it was, it was frustrating that they lost yes. 1-0 to Rosario Central I think if I'm remembering correctly um, yes they did um, and yeah, as, as Andres says, having we spent so much time on them last week saying, yes, well done, Union, you're having a cracking season. So presumably Tacheres are now going to lose this coming weekend. Um, and they they ballsed it up. Um, the only goal of that game came, as I mentioned, from um, Fernando Tobio um, quite early on in the match, eight minutes in uh, from a header. And yeah, Union just sort of, they seemed a little bit flat from what I managed to catch of it there was another game on at the same time which I was paying more attention to I can't remember which match it was um, but from what I, I, I did manage to catch of this one Union didn't have the same kind of bite 
because they've been very effective on the counter attack and, and, and indeed they've been very effective up front of course with Franco Soldano um, as we mentioned last week being the joint second top scorer in the league this season um, and that just seemed to desert them I mean I, I would have thought that it's not going to be too much of a concern in that if they you know, get the basics right again then presumably they'll start winning again fairly quickly this is probably not going to be um, a follow up and the start of a massive slump because they've been fairly consistent all year and it's not as if they've just been fortunate to win a bunch of these games um, but it's you know it might be worth looking yes, at and perhaps, adjusting one or two things perhaps uh, of course it's not because they have lost but Union uh, is one of those teams in which that could, can get a, a, a great or good streak of, of matches won and and watch it watch them in the in the first uh, positions in the table but when they have to uh, go and, uh, over 27 matches uh, which will is the number of matches that will have this uh, this this superliga uh, well they will find problems to be re- regular and to play similar mm. in a similar way all of the matches even when but Rosario Central wasn't that the Central we knew uh, when Godet was there in the bench. No, exactly, and and I mean I think that I, I've just looked up the stats out of interest to to refresh our memories slightly because the impression that I had had was that Union was somewhat unfortunate to on the balance of play to lose the game, and in fact it, it's weighed up. And one of the things that I was saying about how they seem to lose that effectivity up front. Um, my memory is, is sometimes a bit patchy of the weekend's football. In this case, my, my slightly patchy memory is, is borne out um, because Union had seven shots and only one of them was on target. The others all missed the goal. Central, two shots, both of which were on target and one of which was the goal. Um, so, you know, Soldano particularly and also Lucas Gamba, the way that they have been scoring and the way they've been testing goalkeepers this season, you would think that this weekend they'll be straight back to getting those shots on target. Um, and that's going to make a big difference. You know, I don't like to boil everything down to, to statistics and expected goals and whatnot, but in this case, um, Union clearly had an off day when you look at how they've been performing generally over the course of the season. Um, so yes, I wouldn't uh, worry th- about them too much. Uh, anyway, you, you uh, perhaps now that they have lost Rosario Central, if you go to the previous match in which they they defeated Racing, two, but only 2-1, mm-hmm. narrow distance in, in terms of goals, but... Uh, better in terms of the of the play. Yeah, uh, they were much better. They easily could have uh, scored one goal, more goal. I think that Chugo's difference against Racing would have been uh, uh, fair, fair. And uh, now against Rosario Central, well, they wasn't that accurate. And of course, well, they finally finally lost with a single goal and, and not not being able to 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 recover. No, indeed. Um, there is another reason to suppose that they're going to get straight back and that this won't be the start of a big slump. And that reason is that they are at home to Arsenal de Sarandí this weekend. So, you know, they're going to win at the weekend again um, and be able to put this defeat behind them. So congratulations, Union, in advance for your um, weekend victory, which will um, get you back in the... Well, I don't know about the title race because Boca six points clear, but get you back up there in, in the correct end of the form table. Um... Elsewhere, the biggest talking points were, and actually quite handily from the point of view of, um, of those of us who concentrate on the Big Five, um, two of the biggest talking points were from two of the Big Five's matches. One was on Saturday night when River played Olimpo, Nacho Ecoco being 
the talking point here. If you're a Sunderland fan, then you might want to just skip over the next few minutes of the podcast um, because it might feel a bit like banging your head against a wall or make you want to throw yourself off a balcony or something. Please don't do that. Um, but you know, maybe don't listen because um, he was brilliant. River as a whole, no better than the week before. Pretty much all of the same problems um, that we identified last week in, in terms of lots of individual quality, very little of trying to mesh well, it together and play as a team. Um, they happened to be playing at home and they happened to be playing a team who weren't as good as Huracan were against them the previous week. Um, and Ikoko scored two really, really nice goals. One was a free kick, fairly standard, up and over the wall and into the top corner. And the other was not standard in any way. Yeah, dribbling almost half of the team hmm. of Olimpo. Um, and difficult to, to see something like this or to watch something like this in, in Argentine football where, where like Gallardo said, it's, there is a lot of friction, a lot of touch or contact between players and there, no, there is no uh, enough not in, enough space to, to do the, the play that Skoko did. Uh, even, well, Sunderland perhaps, uh, Sunderland supporters would say, what the, what, what's happening with Skoko? But he didn't even score goals like this, even when he was at news at his best times. He, sco- he scored nice goals, Skokasos, let's say, <laughs> let's say, but not like the other day, the other or the other night. That it was simply brilliant, and of course permit River to leave that that so a negative streak with six out of seven matches lost. And uh, uh, I think that yes, in this case, Skoko was the one who opened the door to, to the victory because if not, uh, it would have been complicated again for River to win. It would have been because, as I said, they were falling into the trap that we identified last week quite a bit. Um, by the way, Ekoko has, yeah, I mean, as you, you rightly identified, Newell's is, is the sort of happiest period. Um, of his career, but his his goal average for River um, is actually, if anything, I think slightly better than it was. You know, twenty Newell's out of twenty in twenty matches. At Newell's, he scored over several spells, of course. Um, in fact, how many is it in total? Two, four. That's two different spells. Okay, over two different spells over a number of years. Um, if I'm counting these up correctly. Um, at Newell's, he scored seventy-seven goals in two hundred and eight games, and at River, so far. Since he joined them, as you'll remember at the beginning, sort of in the middle of last year, uh, he has 17 goals in 24 matches, um, which is quite a decent average. That is 0.71 per game. At Newell's, the total was 0.37 per game. Um, so he's, he's, the best period of his career is actually right now. That average has a trap. Of course, well, not a trap, but uh, I think that five out of this, that 17 matches were scored to Jorge Wilson. Yes, they were in, in the Libertadores uh, quarter-final second leg when, when River won 8-0. You're quite right. Um, but, you know, those still counted. Yes. Still a big game. Well, it, it was a big game at kick-off. It wasn't such a big game by the time it ended, of course, because he scored five goals against River and scored eight. Um, but, yeah. And it would also, however, be, be remiss of us, um, particularly as we know that, that Mr Vickery himself does occasionally listen, um, to go without mentioning Juan Fernando Quintero, because we just mentioned we, we mentioned last week that River have had problems with individuality with a lack of, of really good collective play and 
I think, and I know that Tim thinks because he was tweeting me about it during the game and just after the game, um, that what Quintero offered or showed in those, what was it, like 15, 20 minutes or so that he played towards the end of the game, um, was that he can be the solution to that. I mean, he looked... Obviously, he was he was a level above you know anybody on the pitch. Well, apart from Skokko, because Skokko was having a fantastic match, um, or at least a fantastic second half. Um, but in terms of the approach play, in terms of, of, of the midfield, you know, he, he looked a level above anything that I have seen from River in the last twelve months. Um, he, he seemed to instinctively, or not instinctively, but he, he seemed to know because he'd already checked where his teammates were before he received balls. He, he knew exactly where they were. He got an assist. Because he provided the pass for Skokko to, to score that second goal. <laughs> same, uh, as, uh, same as Hector Enrique to Maradona in 1986. Precisely, yeah. And, and as, as Hector Enrique said about that pass, with a pass like that, he couldn't miss. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, we say that flippantly, of course, but I, I really think that Gachardo has to be looking at, at Quintana now after that Quintero. display. And, uh, Quintero, thank you. Um, after that display. And and thinking he has to get him in the starting lineup as soon as possible um, yeah. uh, because it, it was one team with him and, and another team entirely before he came on. Yeah, I think that since the moment in, in which he jumped to the, to the to the match along with Prato, perhaps better Quintero than Prato, who missed incredible op- goal opportunities to yeah. get the advantage uh, bigger in in goals. Um, him 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 along with Prato uh, made River a bit fresher and, and, and with a more fluent play, which is something that Gachardo still can't find with Nacho Fernandez, Enzo Perez, and, well, uh, uh, Piti Martinez, who is more a, 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 play, a player not to just make play, a playmaker, mm. but someone who needs to uh, take sh- long-distance shots and to make more individual plays. But with Quintero, I think that uh, that is a great solution, like you said. Uh, so yes, uh, I think that as long he's uh, at his one hundred percent in his physical form, uh, he will be there from the first minute. As well, Lucas Prato, yes. who, as you say, yeah. missed a couple of, of really good opportunities. He hit the crossbar from very close range, um, albeit on the turn quite late on. Um, I, I think that once he gets his match sharpness back, those you know, Prato again has, has, has a pretty long record of, of scoring goals at this kind of level. Uh, we know that he's a decent striker, so I'm sure that he, he'll get his shooting boots back together um, yeah, and Guitero yeah. appears to be to have a bit uh, suffer a bit of lack of, of pace of rhythm uh, that of course it will be given with the matches but as uh, as usually in, in the media was talking about his weight and if he's fat he's not fat and he had to respond incredibly that he has a big ass rather than a big uh, belly <laughs> We've had a question about somebody with a big belly and, mm-hmm. and a big ass, um, which we'll get to later on, but who also played for River. I don't know whether you've seen the question, but um, we will mention it later on, of course. Um, the other main talking point from the weekend's games, at least on an international level, uh, as I'm sure that, well, I know that all of our Racing supporting fans um, have already heard about it, and as uh, any of you who are mostly listening for national team um, news, if you're foreigners, uh, who support the national team, or indeed if you're Argentines who, who support the national team and um, live abroad and, and you listen to us for that reason, you will have heard already about Lautaro Martinez's wonderful hat-trick for Racing in their 4-0 win over Huracan 
um, on Sunday night, a match in which the other goal came from a penalty which was won by Martinez. He was the one who drew the foul. Um, and at which Jorge Sampaoli was present, which has caused quite some talk. But, I mean, we've actually been re-watching the match because it's being repeated and I thought we might as well stick it on while we've been recording. So we've been watching the second half as we've been talking during this first half hour, almost exactly, look, 33 minutes that this is replay has been going on and we've been recording for 32. I've had to cut a couple of bits, so we won't be 32 minutes into the podcast for you listening now. Um, it was impressive, wasn't it? Yes. His, his first senior hat-trick, if I... Um, um, I don't think that he, he... Did he score one for the under-20s, for Argentina under-20s? Yes, he had. He did, didn't he? So, the, I think it's in Sudamericana, in yeah. which he scored the winning goal against Brazil, if, if I am not wrong. Mm. Uh, that was, I think, key in order for Argentina to qualify yeah. for the World Cup. But hat tricks, yes, three goals I think, in yes. one game. I think he managed. He might have got one for them at some point. But it's his first one for this for a senior team. Um, and he, uh, Sampoli, very well. Yes, Sampoli was not the only one who want, went to the Cilindro to watch Arturo Martinez, which is also remarkable because, independently of of him being in the list. For the World Cup or not, uh, that will be something that will be a lot of, of uh, <coughs> covered by the media because uh, they are they are playing playing with Lautaro Martinez or Tevez going to the World Cup. Hmm. But uh, apart, along with or apart from from San Pauli, there uh, there was uh, Piero Auxilio, Auxilio, the the Inter Internazionale de Milan. A sports director, I think, mm. or manager, like we say here, yeah. but he's the, the sports director, uh, talking with Milito, who is the sports director of Racing, uh, and so, it, of course, they got quite impressive, uh, such impress, impressive was the his performance that apparently Inter has raised their offer mm. uh, to take uh, Lautaro Martinez with them to $25 million. Which is the uh, release clause yes. on the contract that Lautaro Martinez just signed a month ago. Um, yeah, so there has been a, something of a bidding war among various massive European clubs to the point where Inter aren't even the biggest club to come in for him because, of course, he was linked with Real Madrid um, fairly recently. Uh, but, I mean, it, he, he's going to go. Isn't he? Yes. We've got him here in, in Argentina until the, the end of this season, presumably. Um, and you know, the other question that a lot of people are asking is: Is he going to the World Cup? Because San Paoli is now expected to call him up for next month's two friendlies against France. Uh, France? No, that's wrong. Against Italy and Spain. Um, and I mean, it's the last set of friendlies before the World Cup squad has to be announced. So. If you're calling him up at this late stage, it means that you're considering him for the squad, which is exciting, uh, I think. Yes, he he should he I think could perfectly be uh, be behind Iwain Aguero, the classic or the normal strikers that uh, if if they continue like this will be there in mm. the World Cup, especially Iwain who has come back came back to the goal to the goals after a period in which he wasn't fine. Um, but yes, he could be there in the in the squad and independently of, of being uh, having minutes effect, effective minutes in the, in the in the matches against Iceland. I, I could I could it could be possible for him to be you know against Iceland as the most uh, I I wouldn't say easy but a, a match 
for for Argentina to try things perhaps uh, so yeah, it's possible it's a real possibility and well if he continues like this it will be big, or, or even bigger of the, course the other thing of course is that you have to look at the form and, and, and ability and question whether uh, God forbid but if Higuain or Aguero or Higuain and Aguero were to get injured or suspended and you know you needed a replacement for them at centre forward who would be the best to bring in and beyond the Canada, you probably are looking at Martinez for the. I mean, certainly the form he's in at the moment, and the um, fairly recent um, record that he has in a national team shirt, yes. albeit not Argentina seniors, but you know for the under Sudamericano, um, sub 20 under 20 last year, and then in the under 20 World Cup, uh, Martinez was really the only um, Argentina player who came out of both of those tournaments with any credit because the performances in both were fairly disappointing. I'll clarify, as I think I did last week, that Ezequiel Barco didn't travel to the Under-20 World Cup. Independiente held him back from it. Um, withheld him, sorry, from it. Um, so Martinez was, was the only one of those two who actually played both of them. But, you know, it's it, it's a reward that, that you have to say at the moment he deserves. Yes, and, and, and it's a, a bit strange because, uh, of course, he has been linked with Inter, uh, apparently with that offer, uh, with the release clause, and Racing... Uh, losing him by June or by the end of the World Cup. But there, it's inter- interesting because Sampoli uh, had a meeting with Icardi mm. and he told well, the obvious thing, you have to score goals. Uh, and Lautaro Martinez is doing so. So it's if Icardi is not uh, uh, scoring that amount of goals that, that Sampoli asked for him, asked him to, to, to make or to score, uh, that will be an open door for Martinez if he continues like this because yeah. we, we uh, have still uh, uh, four months to go and it's it, it, it is not a lot of time but for a player who has to be in I know how many matches there will be played since June but 20 matches 15 matches uh, he, he has the most difficult part now which is as the World Cup gets closer to keep this form and to keep these goals scoring. Yeah. Another player who impressed for Racing um, against Huracan was Ricky Centurion, who came on for the last 20 minutes, set up Martinez's second goal with a really lung-bursting run from midfield, um, and then had a shot which uh, stung the hands of Marcos Diaz in the Huracan goal, which we've just seen again, as Andres was talking on the replay. Um, I don't think that he's going to make it into the national team, but it does look like, fortunately for Racing fans, he is as plugged in as he was for Boca and he's not going to get distracted because I've, I've been pretty impressed with both of the games that he's played for them so far. Um, Neri Cardoso looked alright as well on the left of midfield, I thought. Did some, some decent work. Yes. Um, and uh, elsewhere, so Racing looked like they're starting to come together under Chacho Caldet and ominously, particularly given how decent Huracan were the previous week against River, Racing was showing some signs of looking a bit like Chacho Caldet's Style, Rosario yes. Central team, yes. um, which was, you know, I won't say the most successful Rosario Central team ever, but it was the closest that Rosario Central have come to being successful uh, in a good long time while he was there. Um, so if he can do similar with Racing, then he's sort of starting from a higher base to, to work up to, and it could get very interesting. Um, of course, it's going to be a bit late now to mount a title challenge because they're way down the table after falling off under Coco last year in the first half of this season. Um, but still, it's it's going to be interesting to see what can happen from this during 2018. Um, the other member of the Big Five who we've not talked about yet are Independiente, 
they got a 1-0 win away to Colón. I saw this and I can't remember anything about the game, which is annoying. Can you, Andres? I think that the, it was very very narrow. Uh, the, not only in the in the, in the in the goals, but also in the in the match. I think that well, Colón had their chances. Yeah. Some of them were quite uh, uh, good chances, but uh, they couldn't uh, manage to well finally get that uh, that goal. And Independiente did with the penalty uh, by Leandro Fernández. Yeah. And yeah, I think it was uh, not uh, the the draw wouldn't be have been so 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 wrong so bad result. I'm remembering. Yeah, I'm remembering bits and pieces. The statistics that I've now got up are sort of helping a bit. Both teams were awful at finishing. Uh, Leandro Fernandez started off on the right wing. Uh, no, sorry, on the left wing. Um, and then after Emmanuel Gigliotti came off for, if I remember rightly, Fernando Gaibor, who is their new number ten signing. Uh, that happened. Yeah, uh, ten minutes into the second half, Fernandez went up front, which is a useful. You know, he's played there as well. He's a usefully diverse, uh, diverse, uh, adaptable player um, for Oland to be able to call on in that respect. And independent is four-two-three-one. Um, Guy Bor himself, actually, I thought was uh, he, he, it was interesting. Mixed, tried a few passes that didn't come off, didn't tear things up by any, by any respect, um, but looked. Like he's got more to offer, I think. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him, having not really caught him. He's Venezuelan, right? Or Ecuadorian? Ecuadorian. Ecuadorian. Yes. Ecuadorian. A former MLF player. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's nice to see him on the pitch, you know, when, along with him and, and uh, Quintana at River. We're, we're starting to see some interesting potential playmakers you, coming through. You want through. to rename Quintero by, by saying him? Oh, for Quintero. God's sake. Yeah, I do. Don't <laughs> Quintero. I'll, I'll start getting it right in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you. Keep correcting me, and, and eventually it will stick. I'm sure. Um, and yeah, you know, Independiente had to had to sort of dig a bit deep. But the main thing I think for them afterwards was that they got over that the disappointment of the Estudiantes uh, defeat the previous week, um, even yes. if it wasn't the the best performance in the world. Um, and you know, Colón edged out just um, elsewhere. We had the other games that we can mention. We've talked about Tempore Tacheres already. I was surprised. I haven't seen a single second of this game, but Chacarita against Belis Sarsfield was, of course, Gabriel Heinze's second match in charge at Belis. He won the first, 1-0, against... Defensa Justicia. Thank you, with a penalty. Um, and he would must have been optimistic about winning this second one as well, because Chacarita are really struggling. Uh, they scored through Maron Matos very late in the first half, um, and then Hernan Petric in the second, who is a right-back and scored. Uruguayan. Yes, Uruguayan right-back. Uh, I'm going to have to look that goal up in a bit, because um, I haven't seen it at all, as I say. Um, but it's a really good result for Chacarita. Yes. Poor it, performance by Zarate. As, uh, just the opposite as I thought. As right. I thought was that he would give Vélez just uh, more power in, in, in the attack, and he has... Several chances and he couldn't even shot the ball properly. It was like uh, as he w- was the same problem like as Prato with not very, very uh, not a lot of, uh, well not at his one hundred percent in the mm. physical form and well with rhythm. Uh, but you have Sarte and you have to use it because he's Sarte. Yeah, it was his first match back. Obviously, he hasn't played in a good long while. 
because he seems to have been back in Buenos Aires for a month and a half, even though he's mm. you know only just uh, transfer papers only came through last week. Um, it, it was an opportunity that game really for Vélez to pull clear of the relegation zone, and they didn't. Chacarita remained bottom of the relegation table with 12 points from 14 matches. Um, and are still going to be doomed really anyway. And so what that uh, Chacarita victory does more than anything is it helps out potentially Olimpo and Tempele, who are on 96 and 95 points each, and Vélez have 107. So if Vélez have won, then the gap now would be 14 points to the, the drop zone, Olimpo being top of the drop zone. Um, as it is, it's nine... And with Olimpo sometimes looking decent at home, you just wonder whether Vélez could get dragged down there. I guess the the saving grace for Vélez is that they've got Patronato and Tigre between them and Olimpo. Um, so if anybody's going to get dragged down, it'll be one of those two, although Tigre are only one point closer. Um, well, I, I, watched it, parts still... of, I watched parts of Patronato against Godoy Cruz, and I, I think it will be quite difficult for Patronato to... To save from uh, or to uh, to be a bit better in the in the relegation zone. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, Chacarita. Well, at least have won in a decent match against Vélez. Something that I don't know whether Patronato will will be able to do. As they their way of playing is just take long balls, uh, non- nonsense long balls, uh, just for the strikers to manage to get uh, any options, and it's. I think it's difficult. Yeah, I it's, remember it's San Martín, San Juan, or I'm, yes, or Atlético de Rafaela mostly going down to the to the Primera B Nacional, playing very well, even with with playing playing well, but anyway going to going down to the Nacional B. Yeah. Uh, but Patronato, I don't I don't see Patronato playing like this to have any options to to save. No, and as we mentioned last week as well, Sebastián Rivas is. I mean, they're so reliant on him. He's actually the joint second top scorer in the Superliga with seven goals. Um, Patronato themselves, I think, have, I think I'm right in saying they've scored 13 all season. Um, so it, it's that sort of. If the goals from Rebus dry, dry up, then, then Patronato aren't going to do anything. Um, they're not going to be able to win games, and they could get dragged down there. They're, they're currently between Tigre and Venice, but of course their points are being divided by fewer matches which on the one hand means that a win for them is worth slightly more roughly a third more um, than it is for uh, Tigre or for Vélez but on the other hand it means that a defeat is that much more painful as well um, because the, the the average goes down a lot more quickly especially if on the important Tempele well and, and theoretically Arsenal they Sarandi, and Lee, but that's not going to happen um, start picking up wins and also even if Arsenal start winning all of a sudden Arsenal are eight points behind Tempele yes. Um, so that, that's why I've not bothered mentioning them up to this uh, relegation discussion point. You said the, the, during the last episode that uh, a big percentage of the goals scored by Rivas were scored here at Patronato. Yes, and something like, I think I said 8% of all of the goals he scored in his career and I this season. And I think that almost all of the goals that Patronato scored were scored by, by him. Yeah. yeah, as I said, 7 out of 13 in total, if I'm remembering the their... their uh, points tally correctly let me just check that Patronato have where are they they're 18th and yeah they've scored 13 and he scored 7 of them so it's it's not great for them but um, there we have it uh, ok we have covered I think Arsenal and Gimnasia is missing I think 
Oh, so now the hymnast here, but is there any need to cover that? Did you catch it? No, I, the most interesting part was coaches saying that it was <laughs> an awful game. They yeah. admitted that. I, I mean, there's no surprise there whatsoever. I, I wouldn't have... Uh, I, indeed, I didn't bother to watch that game. Um precisely for that reason and the other game in which there were goals scored was Argentinos Juniors against Defensa y Justicia which ended 2-1 to the home side and the main talking point from that was that Lucas Barrios got his first goal back for Argentinos he was playing for reasons that as a purist in shirt numbering matters I did not like at all and indeed I don't really know what the reasons were um, with the number 88 shirt as far as I'm aware, he's not an Italian fascist, so I'm confused as to why he would choose that number. He also wasn't yes. born in 1988, because he's older than that, isn't he? He's not 29. He's 30. Yes, I, I don't know why he chose um, that. So I'm confused by the shirt number, as I say, believing him to not be a fascist. Um, but um, there we are. Perhaps that's the number of goals he wants, wants to score. It's a bit difficult, because there are a lot, <laughs> but... Yes, particularly with only 12 games to go, if, if that is what he's thinking. Um, but yeah, well done Argentinos for, for getting off the mark in front of their home fans, because they... Did they lose the previous home game? No, I think they, they won. I should look this stuff up before we start recording, really, but we never know exactly what we're going to cover each week, uh, or where it's going to... Oh, they, they won, didn't they? They won 2-0. Two, two I knew that it was at home, I remember that much. 2-0 uh, the previous week against San Martín de San Juan, of course. Um with Machin and Batalini scoring which with means that this was indeed Barrios' first goal back I did remember that bit correctly yes. go me um, we have been recording for nearly 50 minutes so I'm going to take a break now we're going to refill our glasses with some more ice and a little bit more liquid and when we come back we will answer some listeners' questions and we will look forward to some predictions for which I have a rival this weekend so don't go away that we forgot to mention before the break because it wasn't domestic football it was continental is that Banfield have qualified for the third qualifying round of the Copa Libertadores thanks to a dramatic finish on Tuesday nights they were away to uh, Independiente del Valle del Valle in I was about to say Sangolqui but uh, that's where Independiente del Valle are from they were actually playing in Quito um and as you may recall me mentioning at the end of last week's podcast, because I think it was recorded, it was played just after we f- uh, finished recording, wasn't it? Um, the first leg finished 1-1 in Banfield. Um, back in Quito, in the Olimpico Atahualpa, it ended 2-2, thanks to a Mauricio Esperduti equaliser in the f- not-quite-final minute, but the 91st minute of 94, or 95, which the game went to. Um, which meant that Banfield go through on away goals after a 3-3 aggregate draw. If you've not already seen it, I suggest that you go to my blog, astaelgolsiempre.com, and uh, take a look at the video that I've posted, because it features, first of all, Independiente del Valle's goals were both quite nice team efforts, um, and Banfield's opener, uh, which came through Jesus uh, Datolo, was 
stonking free kick from 35 or 40 yards out which he absolutely hammered into the top corner uh, it was it was glorious it, it was one of those where you think well Quito being at some altitude possibly helped the ball a bit there because it's you know you don't see very many of yes. them at all according to, to Tevez coverage in the media this week Tatelo should also be called up but only because of that goal yeah yes would you be happy with that uh, no <laughs> no uh, that's that's the uh, abrupt but I think fitting answer um, are you w- would you be happy if Tevez gets, gets called up because there's been this whole discussion which we have a listener's question about in a minute but I mean yes uh, every time there is a World Cup uh, coming and Tevez is uh, in playing for Boca or well uh, no, no matter where he's playing there is a, like a, some ca- some kind of campaign to install Tevez in the national team and making polls for the people to to decide whether he w- he's good for the national team or not, or he should co- be called up or not. And uh, well, it's something that I I thought it would happen and finally happened. Yeah. About Banfield, um, well, yes, they got the qualification to the third phase of the or third stage of the pre previous to the group stage in the Copa Libertadores mm. and now we'll, we'll we are waiting they are waiting for uh, Nacional Chapecoense draw Indeed, which to is get their next yeah. and that game kicked off 10 minutes ago uh, Nacional are already 1-0 up in Montevideo which gives them a 2-0 aggregate lead um, I will therefore obviously at the end of the podcast I'll be back to update you on the final score so that if you're a Banfield fan you know who you're going to be facing in the qualifying round but there was some controversy over the first leg wasn't there Andres? Um, yes, if you are talking about Nacional Chapecoense, yes, yes. there was, yeah, yeah. Uh, there were uh, incredibly supporters of Nacional making gestures with a plane falling, which is of course something uh, I, I don't know how to say it dreadful uh, because well you can it's impossible or it's incredible uh, at least I don't believe that uh, even when you are a rival of of, of Chapecoense. To boast, to, to to make a joke with that, and Chapecoense asked Conmebol to 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 eject Nacional for from the Copa Libertadores. Well, finally that didn't happen as they are playing right now. You say it's incredible, but in fact, I mean, I um, once for two years at university, I worked as a security steward at Old Trafford, um, and we had to uh, deal with some visiting fans of certain clubs doing a similar gesture. Um, of course, because you know Manchester United had a, a plane crash of their own, which uh, marks their history. As in fact, you know, many people might have been reading about this week. Um, and yeah, so I mean, it, it's one of those things which, uh, when it happens, it's the kind of thing where you see some people, perhaps slightly self-hating Latinos, going, "Oh, this this would only happen in South America. You'd never see this happening in Europe." Um, in fact, it does happen in Europe, um, unfortunately. Uh, well, so, then, yeah, it's sort of uh, depressingly, I, I can believe it because I've had to tell away fans off myself. Well, in Europe, you have usually have uh, racist gestures or, uh, well, of course, there are a lot of black players and some of them, uh, I don't remember if it was in it was in the culture that a player decided to leave the match because they, they were uh, making a joke with his skin, with yeah. the color of his skin and well, I think Patricia Bra also had problems and and uh, Samuel Eto well, you have those things in Europe which are, are perhaps similar in terms of the 
things you shouldn't do with the with these uh, national uh, supporters. Yeah, precisely. Um, but yeah, uh, that happened. It looks like it's not going to matter, and that Nacional are well going to go through. I mean, they're two 0 up on aggregate now. Uh, if Shepard goes and come back into it, then brilliant. We're in for a cracking rest of the match. But um, I will let you know later on to confirm and who Banfield are going to be playing. Yes, and ba Banfield played against Atletico, Atletico Tucumán last uh, Saturday was or Sunday. Um, Saturday, I think, because was on. No, oh, hang on, I've got the, the fixtures from the last weekend up here, haven't I? I don't, I don't know why I was trying to remember it. Uh, just need to reload the page. But they played with the with most uh, kids in the in the starting eleven because of that because they were playing last night against. Uh, yeah, yeah, they they were. Uh, it was nil nil at home for Banfield um, against Atletico Tucumán, and yeah, just I mean to bring up the starting lineup for a second once it loads come on hurry up um, yeah it's I mean apart from the goalkeeper Altamirano um, it's oh no hang on he's not the goalkeeper is he uh -huh. first choice goalkeeper Altamirano Ar Arboleda is I yeah Arboleda is uh, yeah. yes um, yeah Mauricio Sperduti played but came off at some point and then yeah most of the rest um, yeah it was a second string lineup for them in the league um, let's move on to listeners questions shall we oh hang on you were going to say something about um, about the Alpha, Alpha yes. Gate or Alpha well case. Uh, yes, this week, uh, apart from going to the Carlos Tevez birthday, I, I'm talking about uh, Claudio Chiquitapia, the mm -hmm. Alpha president. He um, released uh, new offices, or uh, they, he presented new offices uh, at the Viamonte. A building uh, that belongs to AFA, and there weren't any San Lorenzo or River board members or directors, as apparently, well, it is it's something that has been happening since a long time, uh, but uh, they weren't there, uh, and they don't go to the meetings of the committee because they are, of course, uh, uh, they disagree with the actual, with the, the, the the, the directors that are right now with well, Claudio Tapia in the as the head, hmm. uh, and uh, uh, this has been even bigger with the presidents of San Lorenzo and River complaining about the referees and the decisions that are wrong, yeah. uh, just against them, and they are of course complaining and saying that this is something strange and well. Apart from that, from that Tevez birthday in which Tapia was uh, as a guest uh, are, are things that are making AFA like bro break it broke in two parts mm. with the uh, San Lorenzo River uh, board members from one side and uh, Moshano the independent president uh, Blanco the Russian president and of course Angelici and Tapia in the other side yeah yeah it's it's a, as much of a soap opera as ever and obviously we will continue covering this sort of thing throughout the year but thank you for the update Andres because I have to admit I've been trying not to pay too much attention to it yes. moving on to listeners questions I should first of all read out a very kind listener comment that we had the other day um, from El Comandante who tweeted in something that I retweeted um, by him saying that Hand of Pod has the best music of any podcast I've listened to Thank you very much for pointing that out, El Comandante. Um, if you really like the Hand of Pod music, then you will be interested to hear, because I know that um, people have asked in the past, um, that its composer has um, some new music coming out on a monthly basis from now on. 
he's, he's my best mate, Nick Ball, and he plays now in a band. I need to update this on the Hand of Pod blog, actually, because the, the blog currently points to his, his previous project. Um, but he is now drumming in a 1910s and 20s ragtime and jazz um, band in London uh, called the Vitality Five, who have singles available. They're going to be releasing one two-sided single um, each month on Spotify and iTunes and some other places. Um, I will try and stick a link up to the page. I, I tweeted it out a couple of weeks ago, actually, when the first one came out, um, so that you can check them out if you want to try out more of their stuff. It's not all that sort of jazz, funk, tango um, style that we have on the Hand of Pod theme tune, obviously. Um, but, you know, if you want to support them, then please do, because uh, he gave me that, that music um, to use uh, several years ago when we started the podcast up, and he deserves to be supported. And Nick, because I know you're listening, thank you very much for it. Um, Yusuf Amin has tweeted a couple of questions. He says, first of all, if you were the racing manager or director of football, what would be the minimum price you would accept for Lautaro Martinez? I would say $25 million because that's the minimum they're allowed to accept because it's in his... Well, it's not the minimum they're allowed to accept, but it's the minimum that they have absolutely have to accept uh, because it's what's in his contract. Yes, that's the easy answer. That's obvious because uh, to selling him from a, a lower uh, amount of money will have the, the supporters quite angry because yeah. he's right now, well, doing the things we, we have been watching and... Uh, if Inter wants to pay their list clause, well, the board members of Racing will say, we can't do anything. Indeed. They have paid that. And, and I think it's a reasonable amount for them to have yeah. set it out, given that, uh, you know, as, as I say, he just signed this contract a month ago. Um, I think it's a reasonable amount for them to have set it out. I think it's about the right amount. It is astronomically high for Argentine football, remember. Um, so even though, especially our European listeners might be, you know, and fans of, of the big clubs in Europe are going to be looking at this and thinking, well, $25 million is nothing. Um, the other thing... It is a lot down here. So. The other thing, which, well, is not the case, I think that if they sell it, or if Lautaro Martinez leaves Racing to go for and play for Inter, uh, it means that uh, Inter paid the, that release clause. But there is another way, which I think that, in the case of River, for example, is doing, which is to send players that won't be taken into account even in the first division and reserves to send them on loan and to to state uh, a, a, a percentage of a future sell of that player to another another team yeah. which is better because once the players the players are, at, are in Europe their value is much higher so a percentage of that uh, future uh, sell will be nice for 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 the teams that is especially with the, with when with players that aren't uh, uh, in the in the squad of first division and, and and well it's a player that by that will have the means they he, he wants and but for river it's good uh, to get some money when they are resold mm. resold sorry indeed uh, martinez obviously is not going to go on loan he's, no, he's, he's going to be sold but um yeah, I think that $25 million is a fair price yeah. for him, for everybody. Um, Youssef also asks, thoughts on Claudio Biaggio? When I was analysing the game against Boca, I was very impressed by San Lorenzo's structure, shape and overall discipline. How good of a manager is he, in your opinions? I hadn't seen that much of him as a manager before his current spell at San Lorenzo, but what we have seen so far is indeed very impressive. So I would say, so far, from a pretty small sample size... 
um, he appears to be the right man for the moment for San Lorenzo. And so. about the discipline, well, we will have to check whether these uh, uh, red cards continue or not because it's mm. not typical to have two uh, players sent off in two consecutive matches. No, and even if one of them shouldn't have been, that's still three red cards in two games that uh, were, were merited. So, yeah, uh, that's a good point. Overall discipline. I don't know, perhaps Yusuf meant discipline in a different manner, but um, yes. Uh, but no, as, as a boss, in terms of what he's been doing for San Lorenzo uh, this season, you know, I think he deserves a lot of credit for the, the transformation. I don't know whether Yusuf asked about that discipline in terms of the behavior of the players or the discipline in terms of the tactics. Mm. Tactical discipline, certainly, ah. he's got them right down on. Ah, okay. um, but yeah, I mean, overall uh, discipline, perhaps not so much. And finally, Yusuf has a bit of a historical question. If we had to pick one team from Argentine football history who played in any age to watch again, which team would we pick? He says, for him, it's either Subeldias Estudiantes. Good grief. You want to watch that? From everything I've read about them, they're the last team I've just... Or the Racing side that won the league in 2014. Um, I mean, I'm going to exclude ones who we've actually seen play. Um... I, I suspect we're both going to go for the same team, but uh, go on, Andres, you go first. Well, I think that I have already answered this question, or we have already, at least some sounds familiar from, uh, to me. But uh, from Argentina, well, I, I will of course choose teams that I, I, I watched play, and not because if not, I will I will say La Máquina. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I haven't watched them play. Well, that's why. I mean, I'm assuming that that, that Yusuf hasn't seen uh, Subel Diaz Estudiantes yes. play, but well, uh, uh, I, I, I would like to see La Máquina, and then behind them I'll go for El Expreso. So La Máquina, for those of you who do not know, are the legendary River Plate forward line of the 1940s, um, who were dominating the first team when Alfredo Di Stefano came through the youth ranks. And, uh, and taught him how to play football. And El Expreso were the Gimnasia y Grima La Plata side who played under um, Emmerich Herschel, uh, who, who later moved to River and, and laid the foundations for what would become La Máquina, who you can read about in Jonathan Wilson's book, Angels with Dirty Faces. Um, I would go for those two because of the you know, enormous influence they've had on everything that's come since in Argentine football. Um, I'd love to see them. But, for yeah. teams I watched, uh, and of course... Will, it will be River, uh, 96-97 uh, squad with Ramon Diaz in the bench. And uh, the, 20, the first uh, matches when Gallardo came to River after Ramon Diaz resigned um, in 2014 mm. and part of 2015. And an extra, uh, as a bonus track, I will, um, another team that I haven't watched and it's not Argentinian, is the Brazil 1970 world champions. Aha, okay. Tom Robinson says, after Independiente's Brian Heads slash Cabezas era, have there ever, have there been any famous transfer gaffes in, have there been any other famous transfer gaffes in Argentine football? Um, we mentioned the, the Brian Heads thing last week, right? I think. Yes. The, the, um, the mistranslation of, for some reason they decided to translate everything, including the player's surname into English for the FIFA form and that resulted in the transfer falling through. Um, I, I can't think of any. I don't remember uh, uh, about transfers that haven't uh, finished because uh, an, uh, a mistake like this. What I do remember is players that uh, were linked with River or were mentioned that will will come to River, and finally it was all smoke, like uh, 
Edgar David, so David Beckham, and for Boca... <laughs> I've completely forgotten that Beckham was... Well, yeah. And for Boca, for example, uh, Alessandro... No. Del Piero, uh, right? And Pirlo, Pirlo yeah. and also De Rossi. Which is more cl- pie-in-the-sky thinking than um, actual gaffes. But yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to pick one out, really, at short notice. I, I can't think of any, but um, I mean, there must have been at some point. But uh, Ahmed Almudaris, so I think is a first-time question asker. So welcome, Ahmed. Says, firstly, just want to say what a great job you guys do. Thank you very much. Your pod is easily one of the best. Thank you again. Um, I have three questions, all random. One, does Skoko stand a chance of getting into the national team? No, no. Um, I think he would do if he were quite a bit younger and playing the sa- in the same form he is now. But as it is, and if Higuain, Aguero, Icardi, and uh, Lautaro Martinez all get injured, yeah. But I mean, this is the thing: Martinez has got a chance, and they're actually in. You know, the records over the last few games are, are fairly similar. Um, so, I would, which is why I think the main sort of point against Skoko is, is more his age than anything else. Um, but I mean, the answer is no. Uh, number two, why are Chacarita Juniors known as the Undertakers? That's a really good question. He means the Funebreros, right? Yes. Uh, well, it's easy because Chacarita has a cemetery, cemetery, and uh, they the are, largest cemetery they are former, in Latin America. It's yes. absolutely enormous. Their former uh, stadium was situated near that cemetery, and well, th- that uh, nickname is obvious because of that. Yeah, there was uh, another version that uh, said that uh, employees of the club or, or even players uh, no, pl- not the players of course the, the some employees of the club were also uh, workers of the in, in a cemetery I right. think or, or, oh, so or supporters they were literally well, yes. the undertakers as well okay. yes. um, yeah, the Chacarita obviously no longer play in Chacarita in fact they no longer play in the city of Buenos Aires the, the stadium's just outside the city now um, but as Andres says, their original or one of their early stadiums was was very close indeed to this absolutely and enormous cemetery, which is not very yes. far away from no. where we record. Actually, it's just in the, a couple of barrios over. And that built the a rivalry between Chacarita and Atlanta, whose mm. stadium is in Villa Crespo, which is of course of course near near Chacarita. Yeah, um, yeah, you could walk to both of these places from from my living room where Andres and I are sitting right now. We're not going to this evening because it's too hot outside and I'm hungry, but uh, we could do if we wanted. Uh, and his third question, Ahmed's third question, are, are the promedios for relegation being abolished and what are they replacing it with? So I think we mentioned last week, actually, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, that um, Claudio Tapia has said publicly now that the promedios are going to be phased out, the promedios being the, the current relegation system in Argentina, whereby, deep breath, each team's points won over the last three years in their current division are divided by the number of games they have played in the current division in that time, which means the teams who've been in the division for differing periods of time are going to be divided by different numbers of games. And the, player, the teams at the bottom of that table are the ones who go down, not the teams at the bottom of the league table. So the answer is, according to Claudio Tapia, yes, they are going to be abolished in two years time I think he said for the start of the 2020 season so they're being phased out slowly um, and what they're going to be replaced with we are led to believe is the bottom teams in the league table being relegated like happens in most other countries uh, which I'm really excited about you shouldn't get excited about 
very mundane and boring things like this, but I think it's a step forward for Argentine football to, to end the promedios because they are something that have, um, you know, historically they were set up to protect the big clubs, and, and I don't think that's a good thing, really. Yes. I don't see which other system could be used because it's average. Oh, I'm sure the AFA are capable of thinking up something. If, if, yes. if we suggest it to them then they'll definitely try and come up with some other convoluted way. So let's just not say anything at all and hope that they don't listen to this um, and that they just go with the league idea. Uh, Darren Paul says, Lautaro Martinez, while still young, is a good example of a player staying and developing for a little longer, gains extra revenue for the club. What are the chances of this becoming more commonplace? Yes, it's difficult, but surely a common goal for the betterment of the national team. Um, I mean... It varies from player to player, I think. Some players get, get an offer at a very young age, as, as happened, for instance, with Ezequiel Barco at the age of 17, who's gone to Atlanta for huge money. Um, for some players, that it's... You know, I mean, Martinez is only 20. It's not like he's you know 22 or 23. He's not stayed around that long. Um, I, 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 am, I fully support players who come out... You know, coming from this country and, and coming from the background that some of these players come from, I fully support them when they get a big offer like that and they take the first big offer that comes along because next weekend, Lautaro Martinez could break his leg. I mean, we hope it doesn't happen, obviously, but it, it, it might happen and if that happens, maybe Inter's transfer... You know, maybe Inter say, well, no, we want to buy him anyway because he's clearly going to be amazing. Maybe that falls through and he never quite goes back to being what he was. Um, and never, you know, if he takes the offer right now, then that's him and his family set up financially for the next I mean, potentially the next couple of generations if he sticks at it so I don't hold anything against these players who, who do this and um, the chances of it becoming more commonplace as I say it, it, it's, it's player to player it depends on, on the individual Martinez obviously was, was convinced by Racing enough to stay for another six months and to sign a new contract on the understanding that they would still let him go but they'd be able to get more money for him I think that that's a way that Argentine clubs have to try to operate now um, but the fact is that we're in a country which doesn't have a strong economy, and that means that none of the clubs have a strong economy. Nobody can really afford to say no to a $20 million plus offer. Yes, and now the player decides whether he wants to stay or to leave. Uh, something that ha didn't happen uh, some years ago, in which if a club or a team went to the player, they had to ask the, the, the team that owns the player uh, and see whether they... Are, are they agree and, and they can ne negotiate a, a, a sum of money for him to be sold but now the players decide more about their future and what in which team they, they they will play they can even even themselves can pay the release clause, clause and go as a free agent to another club yeah in the case of Maradona Martinez it will be difficult for him to afford 25 million dollars <laughs> but uh, uh, they have their own opinion right now and they can With, a, uh, with more freedom than they had years ago to decide whether to stay or uh, a bit longer or to live uh, at this moment. And Lautaro Martinez decided that he wanted to stay at least for the first uh, part of the year until June. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, perhaps Lautaro Martinez figured that if he carries on playing well, he could have been in the World Cup squad and moving teams in the middle of the season as a result wasn't going to be... Uh, conducive to that maybe uh, Darren follows his question up with another saying conversely what examples can you think of where players have stayed for too long Oscar Romero for instance should have left Racing about a half season before he did 
because Zielinski completely misused one of his brightest talents, and in my opinion, that's hindered his career. Now he's in China. Um, can you think of any others off the top of your head who've, who've, who've stayed here for too long? To stay for too long? Yeah. I mean, I'm not disputing that uh, yes. Darren's, Darren's version of uh, Darren's take on this, but um, I'm uh, purely because we, we came across... I mean, I retweeted it earlier, obviously, but um, it's, it's one that I'm um, struggling to think of other examples of. I'm sure they exist. As players that have stayed a lot of time, I, I see Shanta Maidana at River. He has been seven uh, years now. True. Yeah. And, and I mean, well, and he's just turned down the opportunity to move to yes. Mexico. Um, and yeah, and the, the Ponce, apart, apart from him, uh, they are both, of course, ex experienced players that mm. now they won't have many opportunities, more appearances. But more young, young yes. players who had an opportunity to go to a big to a big club or to Europe and, and passed it up thinking that something better was going to come along and yes. uh, and then it's not been the same since I oh, there are a couple who are on the sort of the tip of my tongue as it were and I can't put my name on there uh, I can't put uh, put a face to the name or a name to the face um, we'll have to come back to you on this one Darren I'm afraid um, Darren also says frankly ridiculous conversations were being had online about Tevez versus Lautaro does anyone at hand of pod want to make the case that Tevez has done anything at all to put him over Lautaro in form right now or over the last two years for the World Cup? No. 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 The, the answer to that question, Darren, is no, we don't. Um, sorry, it's a dull answer, but it's an accurate one. Uh, Nate Kubeta says, this is a general question independent of the weekend's events. So feel free to answer later. No, we'll answer it now, it's fine. But I was wondering... One, is there any current foreign ownership in the Primera? If not, is it a possibility? The answer, as I believe right now, is no. But yes, it is a possibility because, in fact, Tacheres, up until a few months ago, were owned by uh, a Mexican company who were the same company who owned... Puebla? Puebla, thank you. I was going to say Pumas, but I knew it wasn't one of the Mexico City sites. Um, so, no, Pachuca. Ah, oh, Pachuca. Began with a P. That was why I wanted to say Pumas, but well done. You prompted me towards the right direction anyway. Um, so it, it's possible, but it is very, very, very strongly um, opposed by Argentina's fans and um, and, and, and the, the setup of Argentine football. And one of the things that happened with the Superliga when it came in and, and uh, the new government um, taking away the Football para todos television rights and, and so on um, was that a lot of fans saw this as a way of trying to... Um, introduce Sociedades Anonymas which is the Spanish language version of, of a PLC publicly limited company um, into football sort of by stealth um, so the clubs here are owned with the exception of Tacheres I'm not sure who they're owned by now but it's gone back into Argentine ownership hasn't it um, they're owned by the fans uh, they're, they're owned by the members who, who pay uh, membership fees each month who go along to the games who use the club facilities and so on um, so it's difficult but it is possible is, is the short answer and Nate's other question what, oh no sorry Nate explains this came to mind while listening to last week's pod when a transfer to Bologna or Montreal impact came up as they share an owner I was thinking an MLS or European team owner would find value in an Argentine outpost as we said a little while ago with the relegation system hopefully none of them are listening to this because I don't want to give anybody ideas River in English, my mate Tom, asks, why are certain parts of the mainstream media determined to stick with the outdated theory that Lionel Messi is better than Nacho Ecoco? 
it's because they're behind the times and they don't want to see the truth, Tom. I think that's the answer, right? Yes. Um, and also possibly because he is. But let, let's not let facts get in the way of a good argument. Uh, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, Ikoko transformed into Messi for those goals, second one especially. It's almost as if they were on the same wavelength when tweeting these questions a couple of minutes apart. Uh, it was only Olimpo, but is this win a turning point for the team? With that one, I'm going to say no. Not just yet. Because, as I said, a lot of the... Um, same problems as Andres and I were discussing last week were still very apparent for most of that game, right? They were still... I mean, it looked like we were watching the same match for huge parts of it until Quintero, got him right this time, came on. Um, So, you know, those last 20 minutes or so that Quintero played might turn out to be a turning point, but the win as such, no. And in a funny way, actually, as I put on Twitter, Nacho Ecoco scoring an amazing solo goal um, to put River 2-0 up. That really sort of only reinforces what we were saying last week because we were I saying they're relying too much on individual brilliance. So, yes, and and they solved the problem with those those goals, uh, something that uh, couldn't do in the last matches, and that's why they couldn't get a, a win because they are playing better as long as they score goals, mm. but they don't play well to score goals. It's no. they score and then play a bit better with because they have more confidence and. They could have even conceded goals because Olimpo had several goal opportunities. We forgot to mention that Franco Armani made his debut. Yes, which is uh, one of Liam's next points, in fact. But yeah, um, that's another aspect in which there was definitely an encouraging sign was that Armani, just in terms of the command of his area, to to use a football manager um, term, um, if if Herman Lux had command of area 12 or 14 um, and Augusto Batasha had command of area, I don't know, 10 or 11, 10, something like that, um, then uh, Armani's is, is certainly much more decisive. Uh, he came out for one where he almost completely flattened the opposing centre forward and punched it a very long way. It was perhaps trying to catch or just settling in for the save would have been a better idea, but he took the decision, he went with it, and he cleared the ball about 25 yards, which is something that I've not seen from a river goalkeeper since... I don't think even Barrowero tended to do it that decisively. Yeah, that, that's key, the decision, because uh, I we will remember uh, Augusto Batalla not not going very deep with the, that determination to catch the ball against Rosario Central in the Copa Argentina final, Copa Argentina 2016, in which Damian Musto scored a goal after yeah. fighting for the ball against Batalla, who wasn't very decided, very determined. In mm-hmm. this case, Franco Armani was just the opposite. Well remembered, yeah. Um... And regarding Aramat, so is it a turning point for the team? Maybe in hindsight, in a few months' time, we'll be saying yes because of the players who made their debuts. Um, but I don't think that right now... I mean, as I say, I saw the same problems as we did last week. We'll see how this weekend goes, particularly if Quintero gets a start. Um, and Liam also asks Armani. Could he be a late call-up for the national side? He's been heavily overlooked, and surely there's no Romero due to little playing time. Right. So, did we say last week that Armani stood a chance of the national team call-up? The situation with Armani is that while he was in Colombia, nobody in Argentina was really watching him play outside the Copa Libertadores, um, and he was being overlooked as a result of that. He started, as I'm sure Liam's aware, and, and several others, uh, but I'll say it for those of you who aren't, he started the process of naturalising to become a Colombian citizen, in large part from what we understood from, from our colleagues in Colombia, uh, Carl Walswick and, um, and others, um, in order to get a call-up for the Colombian national team. 
because he wanted to play international football and his application hadn't been completed by the time the river transfer went through which means that he's now not going to be Colombian um, and Sampaoli is known to like him um, so he could actually be I, I did a post on my blog uh, a week or so ago outlining some of the players yeah, I think it was last Friday I put it up um, outlining the, the players in the Argentine league who have a chance of a World Cup call up for Argentina Lautaro Martinez was in there uh, Franco Armani was also in there after somebody on Twitter reminded me that I've forgotten about him yes it, it appears Romero to be again called up uh, even not being uh, I, not playing a lot for yeah I, I find it difficult to see a, a situation where Romero isn't in the squad I think it would be a very very brave decision this little you know in such a short time before the World Cup to replace the starting goalkeeper who got you to a World Cup final last time out, has got you to two Copa America finals since, um, has played more goals, uh, more games in goal for the national side than any other goalkeeper in Argentina's history. Um, I think it would be really brave to go, yeah, you're going to sit on the bench, Sergio. Um, we're going to bring this guy in who has never been in the national team talking before. I mean, I'm not saying that Armani isn't good enough. No, no. I'm just saying it would be a very, very big call. Um, I do think, personally, I think he's going to be one of the three goalkeepers in the squad. As, as if he keeps up the same performance level that he had at Atletico Nacional when we saw them, of course, in the Copa Libertadores, um, and from what we heard about how he played in the league, and that he showed on against Olimpo. Okay, as, as you know, Liam says, it's only Olimpo, but um, I think if he keeps up that level, he'll be in the squad. We are talking about the third, of course, the third goalkeeper, as we know that by Romero. Along with Guzman, will be for sure the the starting eleven mm. uh, goalkeeper and the substitute, the main substitute, and then uh, for the third goalkeeper, the, I think Armani will be fighting with Will Caballero and uh, well, there is Ruli, Marquesini and and uh, Anuja, which are who is I think at this point not uh, being taken into account by no. by San Paoli. I, think, Ruli Ma I think if Marquesini goes. Yes. After the performance against Nigeria, I'd be very surprised. And really, against Barcelona, had uh, several mm. mistakes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's apparently not having a particularly good season. No. I can't remember who pointed this out to me on Twitter recently, but somebody said that, uh, that he's been shocking this season for El Sociedad. So, yeah, he maybe. himself said that this is the worst uh, moment of his career because he's not uh, uh, playing very much. And, uh, well, the, ways, the, the times he, he, he played, it was not his best uh, performance yeah uh, Matthew Lothar who I, whose name I don't think I've read out before on these questions so again welcome to Underpod Matthew uh, says remember I mentioned we had, we had a question about a player with a big belly and a big ass. here it is does the former Lanús Newell's Old Boys and River Plate forward Cristian El Ogro Fabiani have cult status in Argentina I mean he, he's got a cult status on hand of pod because he was one of the players who a long time before Andres even became involved in the podcast Um, we referred to very frequently as Fat Fab uh, when he was at River um, I think it's fair to say he does have cult status in Argentina <laughs> certainly among fans of the teams that he played for um, yes partly because he, he was really good I mean he wasn't national team standard obviously but for the teams for which he played uh, he, he, he had an, an, an awful lot of talent so yes is the short answer to that would you agree Andres? yes of yes. course yes. Uh, Liam is back to ask um He says, been impressed with Tacheres and Kudelka at the helm since he took over. Monday, 
oh, this is a good start, I hadn't seen this, was his 100th game, and he's only lost 15 of them. Can they get into the top four and qualify for the Copa Libertadores? Personally, I think that they can do it. Um, the Libertadores qualification must be more than just the top four, no? Five. I was going to say. Or the fifth goes to the, to the playoff? Yeah, fifth. Okay, right. So five go into the group. The top four go into the group stage, and the fifth place go into the Copa Libertadores playoff. Um, I think that the answer is yes. I think they come. Uh, the table at the moment, just to remind you, they're third. Boca have 34 points. San Lorenzo, 28. Tacheres, 27. Union, 25. Independiente, 25. Um, Godoy Cruz versus Lanús has just kicked off. Godoy Cruz are currently on 21 points before kickoff of this game. Actually, I'm going to switch over to that now so that we can watch a bit of it. Um, which means that if they win it, then no, they won't be in the top four, will they? If they thrash Lanus, then they could get to sixth. Um, so that's essentially irrelevant to this story for now. But, I mean, the other thing is there are still 13 games to go. So... It, it's maybe a little bit early to be answering questions like that definitively, but certainly if Tasheris keep up their current form, then yes, they can. Um, and that's it. Those are all the questions. So here's some mystical theme music, and when you get back, Mystic Sam will be making his predictions against this week. Oh, God, somebody emailed me in. Uh, Mystic Lee this week, so don't go away. We just recorded the entire Mystic section, um, and then I realised that I hadn't pressed record before doing it. This is an amateur error, and it's one that definitely doesn't deserve uh, your support on Patreon. So, I'm hoping that some reverse psychology will work. Uh, please don't support us on Patreon. The page isn't up yet, so actually you can't, but it will be before we next record. I've had a couple of delays uh, in, in getting it online, because I've had a quite full-on uh, couple of weeks. Um, anyway, here are the predictions between myself and Mystic Lee he's not put them in, in the order they're going to be played unfortunately uh, so I'm just reading them from his email uh, so Lanus versus River is not on Friday night because Lanus are playing right now on Wednesday night um, but we are both in that game going for a River Plate victory Olimpo against Racing we're also both going for an away win Independiente versus San Lorenzo has been postponed so I won't tell you what Lee has predicted for it it's going to be taking place on my birthday that one which is annoying because it means I can't go out for dinner yes. on my birthday but anyway um, or I can but I'll miss the game uh, Tigre versus Argentinos Juniors we're also both going for an away win uh, Gimnasia versus Estudiantes de la Plata Clásico Lee says that's going to be a draw I think it's going to be an Estudiantes win Huracan against Rosario Central Lee says Huracan are going to win it I think it'll be a draw Newell's Old Boys versus Colón de Santa Fe. Uh, Lee's going for a draw and I'm going for an away win. Tacheres versus Banfield. We're both going for Tacheres to win that one. Godoy Cruz versus Belgrano. We're both going for Godoy Cruz to win. Um, right now they're 12 minutes in against Lanús. It's nil-nil. But before this game had been played, Godoy Cruz had five home games and five wins at home uh, in the Superliga. Compared with only one, one win in away matches. So... I'll go for a Godoy Cruz win because that's what they seem to do. Um, Boca Juniors versus Tempele is obviously a home win and we've both agreed on that. Atletico Tucumán against San Martín. Lee reckons that's an Atletico Tucumán win. I reckon it's a draw. Defensa Justicia against Chacarita. Again, Lee is going for a home win and I'm going for a draw. 
we are both going for a home win for Union de Santa Fe against Arsenal de Sarandí. And the final match of the, well, of Lee's email, at least, because I've not looked at the order where they're going to be played in, is Vélez Sarsfield versus Patronato. Lee says a home win, and I think that that's a draw. We said this already a few minutes ago, but because I forgot to record it, we'll have to say it again. Um, there are not as many enticing fixtures this weekend as there were last weekend, are there? Yeah, apart from the Clásico, that Gimnasia Estudiantes, yeah. there should be another Clásico, which is Independiente San Lorenzo, but, but as you said, it's... Postponed because Independiente has to play the Recopa Sudamericana against Gremio. Of course, thank you. The yeah. first leg next week and the second the other. So that's why I think they will play the 4th of April. You, that's yeah. your birthday. That is my birthday, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yes, you can send me birthday cards if you want, listeners. Um, yeah, otherwise, I mean, Lanús River, when they were putting the fixture list together at the start of the season, I'm sure they thought that was going to be a good game. And now it's like 23rd against 17th or something. So it's a bit like, oh, mm, well, you know, I mean, in theory, it should be a good game. They're two of the best clubs on the continent, according to last season's Copa Libertadores. In terms of this season's league play, not so much. Um, And yeah, Tacheres versus Banfield should be interesting. If Banfield go for a mixed team or something like that, but they might well not do because of the Libertadores. So we shall have to wait and see. But please come back to us uh, next week, listeners. Thank you very much for listening as ever. Keep listening if you want to hear the full-time scores from Godoy Cruz versus Lanús and from Nacional against Chapicoense um, to find out who's going to be, be playing Banfield in that third Libertadores qualifying round. For now, it is thank you very much and good night from Andres. Thank you, good night. And from me, thank you and good night. Those two results that I promised to give you um, earlier on ended in the Copa Libertadores. Nacional beat Chapecoense 1-0 on the night for a 2-0 aggregate win, which means that they will be Banfield's opponents in the third qualifying round. Um, and in the Superliga, Godoy Cruz against Lanús was goalless at half-time and was 4-1 to Godoy Cruz by the time the referee's whistle went after a goal-heavy and... Um, Very impressive second half from Godoy Cruz.